crawled out, they raked him back in with a stick. He was done when the steam began to come out from under his tail, and they busted him open and ate him on the spot. My mother, who was a Red Cross lady in Thomasville for many years, was such a nice person that nobody ever suspected the depths of her savagery. She was never sick a day in her life and attributed that to early challenges to her immune system. Anyhow, these wild, savage children were extremely cruel to the tame little Yankee cousins when they came down. I mean, God Almighty knows some of the stories will curdle the blood. I'll quickly whip out, too, so you can see what I mean, but I'll try to spare you all I can. One time they hung a little innocent boy by his belt onto the horns of a deer skull nailed to the wall of the coach house. It wasn't child abuse at first. He was willing, but an airplane flew over about then, 1918, and they had to run sea and forgot the little fella until they noticed his empty place at supper time. Another time they told the whole crew of innocents that when you chewed sugar cane, you were supposed to swallow the pummins. I better explain that. It might not be as impressive to people who have never chewed cane. There are three components. First, there's the peeling, which is exactly like bamboo, stuff nobody but a panda can chew. Next, there's the juice, which is astonishingly delicious. Unfortunately, the juice is soaked up in the pummins, which is just about like a piece of hemp rope. Southerners used to caulk boats with cane pummins. My mother and aunts and uncles had those little gullible Yankees all in a row swallowing, like matching cormorants, each with a pinfish trying to go down backwards. Jesus. My sisters and I did it to one of our Yankee cousins, too, and it was pitiful. I hope St. Peter's on his break when my time comes so I can slip by the substitute. The little wild children didn't have anything much. They made bows and arrows with a single worn-out pocket knife that they shared, and they had a box of matches, a few fish hooks, and a spool of Aunt Lydia sewing thread. Later, when they were old enough, about seven, they had a gun. Oh, they ate well, because this was actually a working plantation with big fields of peanuts and a garden from which everybody on the place, maybe 30 people all told, had all they needed. There was livestock of all kinds. My grandfather raised pigeons for the squabs. You know, a squab is a peculiar phenomenon. When they get ready to kill and eat, they're much bigger than a grown pigeon, sort of like our caterpillars, bigger than the butterfly into which it metamorphoses. They don't actually look all that appetizing with their pin feathers sticking straight out and all that duke stuck on their bottoms because their legs are too flaccid for them to waddle out of it. But I'll tell you this. A squab roasted with a strip of bacon is a treat. There are a lot of foodstuffs kind of like that, you know. Those that don't look too good as raw material but with proper preparation turn out fine. A hot dog is a good example of that. But the point is that the little wild children were well-fed but poor. Well, the little Yankees had all sorts of toys and junk. Everything a child could have was provided for them. Not only down here, but back in Philadelphia. Mama said they had a real steam train, big enough to ride on. Years later, she showed me the little rusty tracks running all out through the flower beds over at the big house. They also had a tiny boat. Everybody in the family was grown up when I, the first of a new generation, came along. My sisters and I, and a bunch of children of the folks who worked the place, ran just as wild as before. What did you think? Someone like my mother would all of a sudden fly into a frenzy of supervision? I was the oldest by far, and for a long time I was by myself. I was out there in the coach house one time when I found a ladder nailed to the harness wall. And after I had climbed into the loft, 
I found the most charming little boat. I'll get back to it right in a second, but first I better explain the coach house. Back in the horse and buggy days, a buggy was an expensive thing, and a coach was something reserved for people like my ancestors, people who were apt to top at the knob every chance they got. One story is that when they came, I guess my grandfather was a little boy at this time, down for the winter in the Carpet Bagger Express. They'd spend the first night in their house in town while their servants got the coach ready. It was big enough to haul them all, all the men in their Prince Alberts and Beavers, and all the ladies in their plume bird hats. There was a little perch up front for the driver, and a little perch back aft for the man who blew the horn to warn the peasants to get out of the way. If that ain't topping at the knob, I don't know what is. I actually knew one old man who remembered those days. He said, You heard that horn, you better get your ass out the road, or them goddamn masons would run over you in that big-ass thing.